listening to Your Bright Future, a Lava Ridge counseling podcast connecting home and school, where we share tips and tools to build a bright future for our students. Welcome to Your Bright Future with the Lava Ridge counselors. I'm Mr. Lounsbury Decker, Jared, or Mr. LD. And I'm Mrs. J. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, we're, we're excited. We, we have another wonderful guest today. Um, we're, we're so excited to have Tammy Curtis on who works at the district office and does a lot of our, uh, she, I mean, she just supports us in so many ways. Doesn't she, Tanya? She, oh, she my helps. Goodness, yes. She helps a lot with the mental health stuff, social, emotional learning, which is a big part of what we'll be talking about today. But, but she is one of our go-to people that we reach out to for kind of social, emotional, mental health reasons. She's someone I've relied on in that, those ways. Yeah, tell your official um, title is what, Tammy? You're the wellness uh, social emotional learning coordinator. Social emotional learning coordinator, great. And yeah, wellness is just one of your big um, mantras. Like that's one of the things you talk to us teachers about all the time is just being well and self care, and then how to how to pass that along to our students and teach them those important things. But take just a second and maybe just introduce yourself to us and to our parents and tell us a little bit about your path to becoming the social emotional learning coordinator and how, uh, and how many years you've been here, that kind of thing. All right. Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and, uh, thank you for doing this for your students and their parents. Uh, I started my career out, um, in in the clinical social work realm uh, so i worked in treatment facilities uh, my first job was in a residential treatment center for young women with eating disorders and then i have worked um, in hospitals and inpatient behavioral health i did uh, crisis evaluations in the emergency department i also have worked in residential for substance dependence um, i've worked in intensive outpatient settings and just regular outpatient settings too and uh, the reason that that I'm here speaking with you today is so many of my clients, uh, when they would learn skills and apply these to their lives, they would say, you know, wow, I wish I would have known this five years ago or 10 years ago, or I wish I would have known this when I was young. This would have helped me so much. And and I even had uh, many people who who said, you know, why don't we teach this in school? <laughs> and, and my, <laughs> right. And, and my reply was, you know, that's a great question. Um, but all of that experience um, really led me to schools because I, I, I kind of felt that way too. You know, if we can teach our kids skills right from the get-go, uh, you know, to navigate the complexities of, of this modern world, um, then they'll just, you know, be able to, to be so much better prepared. Well, no wonder you're so helpful to us. You've had some great background uh, experience. And um, I didn't know that about you, honestly. I didn't know that that was your background. So that's really cool. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, now, so tell us, a lot of people haven't heard about social emotional learning. So what kinds of things would you want to tell the people out there who, who maybe haven't heard about it or who maybe have heard some, um, some misinformation or some things that we want to maybe address? Well, sure. Uh, human beings, we are social emotional beings before we're cognitive beings. If you look at the way the brain develops, uh, those social emotional parts of our brain develop before our cognitive areas in the brain. And uh, we just have got to pay attention to to all uh, areas of, of learning. Um, so I think that the social emotional piece contributes so much 
uh, to the learning of our students because it puts their well-being at the foundation. Um, and we know through Maslow's hierarchy of needs that a person first needs to feel safe and secure their physiological needs, um, like eating and sleeping have to be met in order for them to be able to access that learning part of their brain. Uh, they need to feel like they belong and that they're important. And those are things that we accomplish through our social emotional supports. Uh, so I look at those skills, um, you know, as being able to interact with and engage in the world in a proactive and healthy way, in a way that nurtures mm -hmm. positive relationships, you know, looking at intrinsic motivation um, and encourages self-awareness and also self-efficacy. Yeah, those are such important skills to have. Um, and we focus a lot on that in our counseling programs as well, those skills, um, setting kids up with groups and some of those things, um, because it is such an important thing that students have, right? Yeah, yeah, just just for well-being. You know, we all we all want kids to, to be well um, and to do well, and, and they want that for themselves too. Uh, so it's great that we have the opportunity to support our students and and really cultivate those those relationships that help them learn communication skills. You know, um, when you think about being able to express how you feel in an appropriate way, um, just even smiling at people and introducing yourself, <laughs> remembering their names. Yeah, for yes. sure. Right. Which is hard. It's hard. <laughs> I struggle with that personally. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard for all of us. Um, but, it, you know, that's I, I've often heard and I know it's written in books about the, um, the the sweetest word to anyone is their own name. And mm -hmm. so what a difference that can make, you know, a lot of um, therapists and psychologists throughout the world will tell you that uh, just smiling is an intervention for someone just just to smile. Um, it, it's inviting and, and um, you know, it's open. And it just makes the other person, you know, feel like they're seen. Uh, Brene Brown talks a lot about what is connection. And she describes it as feeling seen, heard, and valued. And so just to smile at someone and, 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 and remember their name or remember something about them will definitely help them to feel seen, heard, and valued. I love that. And, and so many of these things, the social, emotional learning, I think those are I, we can think of them as soft skills or what, whatever name you want to give them, but so applicable to college and career as well, because, you know, those are those things you're talking about. Those carry over into adulthood, into college, into the workplace. These are skills that, you know, these students will use their entire lives. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because this was early education for me in in the lab of life right, because we're all in this lab of life every day, uh, but working um, in the treatment center for, for these wonderful, talented, intelligent young women, um, you know, these, these girls were top of their class. They had, they were valedictorians. They had very prestigious jobs. Um, they were going to Ivy League schools, um, and here they are in, in treatment, and residential is the highest level of treatment next to hospitalization. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was quite a paradigm shift for me to realize, oh, so you know, getting straight A's and graduating top of your class doesn't mean you've got it made. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, and sometimes that's how we think of things. But of course, people that come from great houses and these you know valedictorians still could have stress and, and emotional struggles. So I, I think that's a great note. Yeah. Um, were you going to say something, Tanya? Well, I just was going to say, the, I think the very first time that I met you um, was at a trauma-informed training that we went to. Um, and you were teaching us about the trauma-informed approach to counseling and to interacting with students and just making sure that we're 
you know, looking at the whole student and not just focusing on those, you know, success measures that we just mentioned, you know, like good grades and, and some of those things, because it's, I know it's, it's sometimes easy to overlook things that have happened to people um, in their past or things that maybe those hidden hurts, you know? And so I, I just love that training because it really helps me to keep in mind that, you know, it, it doesn't really matter that everyone's kind of fighting battles that we can't see and that we have to meet every person where they are. But tell us maybe a little bit about how you came to that trauma-informed approach and, and how that maybe ties in with this topic of social-emotional skills. Yeah, um, you know, one thing that has been consistent throughout my clinical career in, in, in doing therapy um, with people is just the sheer number of, of people that have those adverse childhood experiences or those traumatic experiences in their background. Uh, and, it, you know, trauma, the definition of trauma uh, is that it's an experience. It's not a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, it is an experience, something that we go through that is so overwhelming. It exceeds our capacity to cope. We feel helpless, our, our well-beings being threatened. Um, and so anything that lends itself to us feeling that way can be described as traumatic. And you know, back in 1998, um, the Centers for Disease Control and Kaiser Permanente, an insurance company um, in California, brought together two medical doctors uh, so that they could really look at this because these medical doctors were finding similar results in their clients that were having poor health outcomes. They all had these uh, adverse experiences in their backgrounds. And they said, there's something to this, isn't there? There's something here, but we haven't touched on it yet. Uh, so they crafted the adverse childhood experience study and that's become known as the ACE study. Um, and it was really groundbreaking at the time in 1998, what they found is that most people had experienced at least one ACE, um, but around 20% of the population had experienced four or more. Mm -hmm. And their research showed that the higher the ACE score was, and this was a, a questionnaire from one to 10. Um, so out of 10, the, the more uh, ACEs someone had experienced, the more risk um, they, the more they were at risk for, the more health problems they had have both, both socially and medically. And they realized, wow, this is happening and we don't even realize it. We haven't even brought attention to it. And I think what's really sad about that is that initially they were laughed at. No one really wanted to believe it. And they concluded that, yeah, they know this is here, but nobody wants to talk about it because it's uncomfortable, right? Right. And we want to avoid what's uncomfortable, um, of course, but what we've come to realize is that, yeah, adversity affects um, how our brains develop, depending on what age it happens, it affects our biology, um, and certainly that stress component. Um, and uh, so it's important we pay attention to it, and yet we don't know what people have been through. We can't look at someone and know what their ACE score is. Right. Um, and so I think kindness and compassion really lend itself to just how we interact with and treat everyone. For sure. I, I, I always tell students my favorite word in the English dictionary is compassion. You know, that idea of calm, being with and passion, hurt or suffer. And, and you're right. That's such a universal human instinct we have to respond to each other's pain. And, and often, especially with, with adolescent age kids, we don't always know what they're dealing with. They don't know what their friends are dealing with. And just so just being able to respond to each other, because we all have tough things. Life can be very difficult for all of us. So I, I, I love that perspective you bring. Well, and also it's one of the reasons I love that we teach social emotional skills in schools, because sometimes the kids don't even 
know how to for sure, talk for sure. about those things. They don't even know, they don't have the vocabulary sometimes to express what's going on inside of them and the, all of that turmoil. So the more we can teach kids about like how to speak about their emotions and how to develop those skills that are going to help them communicate and interact with each other. I mean, it all kind of builds on each other, um, those skills so that we can actually, you know, have those meaningful conversations and connect them with the people that they need to be connected with so that they can get the help that they need. So I, I really love that this is kind of a big focus that our district has taken and that we are learning so much about how to get to the heart of those issues. Yeah, thank you. And really, really support people where they're at. And this is, this is about the adults too, you know, recognizing that again, I just love the analogy for me, it's the lab of life, uh, because we can't predict tomorrow. In fact, uh, the Dalai Lama says there's only two days in a year when nothing can be done yesterday and tomorrow. <laughs> right? And that's yeah. where anxiety lives. That's, you know, we're worried about what are we going to do tomorrow? We're worried about what happened yesterday and we're missing we're missing the moment. We're missing the joy that's there for us in the moment, being in the present. And a lot of um, these uh, strategies are to help us be in the present, be in the moment, um, and and you know, help us even pay attention and focus, uh, so that we can learn at school, so that we are able to respond, you know, in healthy ways. Um, you know, it makes me think that our brains are wired for two things: safety and connection. And so it's not surprising that really every problem usually comes back to safety and connection. Um, and a threat to our safety is gonna activate that amygdala, which is that default stress response of fight or flight, um, or sometimes freeze. Um, and when we don't feel connected, if we don't feel like seen, heard, and valued, that's going to impact um, our ability to show up and do well also. Um, so helping kids learn how to self-regulate, how to manage that default stress response, you know, recognize what bothers them? What are those things that, um, you know, that really just get those intense emotions um, boiling? That's important. And, and so the more we can help them, uh, you know, we really take the approach of we have everything with us that we need, um, you know, that, that autonomous, um, I think, empowered we have everything that we need to, to be whole and well and um, just, you know, that healing, that self-healing, um, but we often don't realize how simple it is because just tuning in with our five senses, you know, paying attention mm -hmm. to the sounds, just even closing your eyes or, you know, just taking a moment to tune into the background, um, just notice what you can see and smell and even something to touch or even just the temperature of the room because if you're too cold or too hot, that will also <laughs> take yeah, you out. Kind of set you, you know, off. Yeah, you know, so really just using those five senses and, and cultivating that awareness around, yeah, what, what bothers us? What are those things that push my buttons? Um, and having some skills and strategies, like activities I like to do, people I like to talk to, um, th knowing things like that, just kind of having a go-to list of things I can do, uh, activities I can engage in, places I can go, um, people I can talk to, those are really helpful things for all of us to know. Okay. All right. So Tammy, you mentioned um, that the brain is wired for two things, the, the safety and connection. And so I'm just wanting you to talk a little bit to us about the relationship piece of things, because it's something that we focus on a lot as counselors, where we, we, you know, we encourage teachers to develop good relationships with their students. And we work on relationships between students and their peers. And we're always trying to develop a good relationship with students. But, but we know that it's hard to make those connections right now because we have, you know, things that get in the way like technology and we're so isolated a lot of the time. So, so speak to a little bit about that piece to us. 
Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that that's a big focus for you. Um, there's been a lot of research out there on how important that teacher-student relationship is. John Hattie, who is an educator that's um, studied what are the best practices out there to help students learn at high levels, he found that that teacher-student relationship had a 0.72 effect size, which if you're not familiar with effect sizes, um, that's big. And it, what it means really is two years of growth in one year's time. Um, so, so this is very important at school, but also it's, it's that Maslow's hierarchy. It's at the heart of that. If you feel connected to someone, you will feel more safe with them and safety again is that foundation. Uh, so different ways that we can um, build connection is one, get to know someone. Abraham Lincoln once said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. And I appreciate that because I think it's easy for us to connect to people that we like, people that have those mm. social skills, right? People that can introduce themselves and give compliments and, you know, offer to help um, start a conversation, end a conversation. Uh, but there are some kids that I call porcupines, <laughs> some adults, and the porcupines are a little bit prickly and it can be a little bit more difficult um, to connect. So like going into thinking about people that might be a little bit more difficult to connect with, uh, you know, the first thing, the recommendation is to make eye contact. And once you make eye contact with someone, oxytocin starts to flow. Um, it shows you're paying attention. And this is a big one, especially because of technology. Oftentimes we are looking at our phones or we're looking at our devices. So making eye contact is a big deal. And we mm -hmm. can be intentional about that. And then the next thing is the smile. Uh, the smile is welcoming and, you know, portrays kindness. And then also, again, just learning their name. So those three things, eye contact, smile, um, learn their names. So parents are already going to know their kids' names. Uh, so, you know, talk about things they want to talk about. A lot of experts say spend 15 minutes one-on-one -on -one time with your child each day, uh, which can seem overwhelming if you have, you know, more than a couple or a few children. Um, 15 minutes a day uh, might sound daunting. Um, but the point is just to take time when you're just present with them. You're not taking phone calls. You're not checking emails. You're not, um, <clears throat> you know, engaging in a task. You're just listening, asking them how their day was, um, you know, who their friends are, what they're excited about. Uh, some <clears throat> may have heard of John Gottman. And I love John Gottman's research because he focuses on relationships. And it's interesting because he started out studying the parent-child relationship and then he studied the marriage for 40 years and he can predict divorce with up to 94% accuracy. And it's the way the couple communicates and interacts. So he gives tips that I think apply to every relationship. And one of those is uh, when, when someone asks for your attention, if they engage in a conversation with you or what, what John Gottman would call a bid for connection, that we have three opportunities or three ways to respond. And one, we could turn toward the person, which means we would stop what we're doing and we would make eye contact and say, hey, yeah, what's up? Uh, the next one would be, we could turn away from the person. And that isn't necessarily negative. It just means we don't make eye contact. Maybe we're washing dishes and we just keep doing what we're doing. And we just kind of nod and say, uh-huh, yeah, tell me about it. And then the third one is that we would turn against the person. And that's when we might get angry and shout, you know, can't you see I'm busy right now? Uh, mm -hmm. And what he found is in the relationships that that lasted where the, the couple were really, you know, satisfied and happy, they 80% of their interactions were turned toward versus the unhappy relationships were only around 30%. Interesting. Yeah. So those bids for connection are so big. Just, just giving time, our time to people is the, 
is the most valuable thing I think we can offer. Um, and the other thing he talks about is having at least a five to one praise to correct ratio. Um, so we're, we're going to have to redirect, you know, kids, we're going to have to, um, you know, give them constructive feedback or, you know, um, just any correction. And, and in the event we do that, we need five positives to make up for that. And we can do that through, um, you know, fist bumps and high fives and a smile or a wink or a pat on the back or a touch on the arm. Um, it can also be verbal, like, you know, way to go. Thank you for doing that. Oh, I noticed how you helped your brother, or I noticed how you picked that up and threw it away. And, and so it's looking for them um, to do helpful, you know, nice things and really just pointing that out. Um, so there are a few ways that we could do that, but I think maintaining that five to one positive ratio um, and then just giving them our time uh, let let them lead the conversation. Let them talk. Uh, get to know them. I love those. I love those things. And we actually do a couple of similar things here at the school, where we we tell the teachers to do, or we we ask them to do a two by ten intervention, which is where they spend two minutes a day for ten days talking about those same kinds of things, and the principles are the same, right? They're just building those mm -hmm. relationships and building that connection with with teachers. And then our PBIS system that we use here, we use the same ratio five to one, like we encourage teachers also to look for five good things for every one thing that kind of goes wrong in the classroom. So I think that those are really good um, kind of research evidence-based things that we're, we know work with relationships, right? And so we're looking for those kind of tips to, to how can we improve them with our kids. So what are some other um, ways that parents can support the social emotional development of their children, you know, in case they're looking for other tips and ideas that they could use? Yeah, well, I think, um, talking to them about, you know, this is, this is an interesting one that we might not think of in that a lot of times we feel like social media is hijacking our kids. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, do we really have influence because they have so many influences out there? Um, but parents, they have more influence than they realize. Uh, and so, so helping parents feel empowered that even though your child might not be able to to verbalize or even show you how much they adore you and value you, they, they absolutely do. Um, and so, you know, talking when you're in the car and a song comes on, um, talking about the song, it, you know, what's the message in the song? Is it something that um, reflects the value of the family or, or not? And, and that would be a great way to talk about values, you know, just pointing out um, things like that, having conversations around um, what's important to them? You know, what are their mm -hmm. goals? What are their wishes? What are they hopeful for? We have a, uh, a thing that we do in our family because we used to do this um, in the treatment center I worked in at dinner time. It's called High Low Hope. And everyone takes a turn to go around and say what their high for the day was. So what went really well and they're really excited about and what their low was for the day if they had one and what their hope is for tomorrow. Um, and that's a great way to also get to know your kids um, patterns and kind of personalities and and also a little bit about their day. And they love those routines, right? They can they kind of become family traditions, too, if you do them long enough. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. I want to incorporate that into my family. That's excellent. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. You you brought up the term routine, and and I think that lends itself to another one. Having those routines uh, really helps to create 
um, safety and predictability in the day. And, and aside from just those traditions that you have as a family that are super helpful, having a morning routine and a bedtime routine can be really helpful for all of us. Um, you know, some people watch the 10 o'clock news and then they try to go to sleep and wonder why they can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The good news that they listen to. <laughs> <laughs> and so having good sleep hygiene um, and brain experts will tell you even have a verbal cue for that. So, you know, I'll just give you an example. A verbal cue for bedtime could be, okay, I'm winding down for bed. And, and, and our sleep hygiene might look like we turn the lights down low, um, we do a calming activity, you know, we engage in maybe our grooming, like washing our face, brushing our teeth, getting on our PJs, um, and then we do a quiet activity before bed to get our brain ready to sleep. Experts do recommend turning off devices two hours before sleep and also not exercising right before sleep because all of that wakes our brain up. And then having a routine in the morning and a verbal cue might be rise and shine. And the two things that wake our brain up are light and movement. And so getting up and start moving, like make the bed, get dressed or, or whatever that morning hygiene routine looks like. Um, but then also turning on the lights or opening the drapes. Um, and so building routine in can really be a great part of self-care for the adults and also for the children. Great ideas. I love that. Um, so much of what we talk about when we talk about social emotional learning seems like common sense. It seems like things that maybe we do anyway, but I think when you give it that little bit of conscious effort, um, and it doesn't need to be a lot, you know, it's like you say, it's just like taking advantage of the little moments in the car or, or at bedtime. You know, if we just put that little bit of conscious thought into what is this moment teaching us right now, I think that that can make all the difference in, in this social emotional development. Yeah, it's the little simple things. And I think sometimes we think it has to be some big gesture or, you know, these big things, but it's, it's, it's in the details, the small little details of every day. Um, and, and I'll just share this. Uh, it's came from a book that we all read, I think last year, um, called what happened to you by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And I was really struck by, uh, uh, one of the chapters where it talked about a little girl who Oprah had on her show and, and the mom had passed away from cancer. And Oprah said, you know, what are your, what do you remember the most or what stands out? And she goes, you know, the happiest memory, um, is because they took this trip they traveled they wanted to take some time as a family to just travel and so you know this was kind of a big deal to see new places and you know kind of be out of their routine and the little girl said that that her the what stood out the most the best memory she had was eating cheerios with her mom at two in the morning hmm. you know just a sweet little um you know who nothing anyone would ever think twice about um but that's what stood out the most and and I think it's just because they were alone and they had that time together and it wasn't some big thing, you know, it was just that small right. little thing. And it's, I think those, those little special ways that we recognize our kids, like remembering their favorite treat and, and really taking time to, you know, have one-on-one -on -one time. Let's, let's go have a special dinner or let's do this one activity. Um, it's, it's going to be individual depending on what the parent likes, what the child likes, but just, you know, making time and, and also just being easy on yourself. You know, there's a quote I really like that says, there's no way to be a perfect parent, but there's a hundred ways to be a good one. And I think sometimes we're so hard on ourselves and, uh, and having a little grace and also admitting our mistakes and being human um, is one of the best ways we can teach our kids because we know they learn through modeling. And so we set that example and, and uh, the way we treat them is the way that they'll most likely treat others too. They learn about relationships at home. 
Well, I love it. And thank you so much for being here with us today. I, if there are anyone of our parents that are listening that maybe had some misapprehensions or, you know, some reservations about social emotional learning and what that looks like in the school, I hope that this kind of puts their mind at ease because um, we really do focus on just what's best for kids and we want them to just feel safe and secure. And so I appreciate you coming on and just kind of telling us a little bit about what you do and your philosophy and, and how we can better be better partners in that. You know, our podcast, we really emphasize, we want to be uh, partners with our parents and connect with home and school so that we're kind of teaching the same messages and we're, we're, you know, kind of presenting a solidified front for our folks, uh, for our kids, you know, at school. And so, you know, I appreciate you coming on and just showing us how much you care about this. I can tell it's a passion of yours and we feel it all the time when we're, we're, you know, learning from you that you really care a lot about this stuff. So we really appreciate your time and your, your, um, preparation and everything that you shared with us today. Oh, thank you. I am so grateful to be here. And, uh, you're the reason that I'm glad that I live in this community and my kids go to our schools so thank you for what you do. Your kids are in very good hands. Well, thank All you right. so much, Tammy. You're, you're wonderful and keep up the good work. Yeah. We, we love having you as part of our district as well. Oh, the feeling's mutual. Thank you. All right. Well, if you are enjoying our podcast, we ask you to just please uh, listen as often as you can share it with people that, you know, um, especially those who maybe have kids in the intermediate school level. Um, and if you have questions or if you have topics that you would like to hear us address, we ask you to please email us and just let us know how you're feeling uh, about it. And if there's anything that you want kind of an expert opinion on, um, if we don't have some expert opinions, we'll find somebody who does. So we <laughs> ask you to please uh, share, like, subscribe, all of those things. And uh, anything else you want to say, Jared? As always, thank you so much for trusting us with your students. And we, we, we love being a part of their journey through these, these times in sixth and seventh grade, you know, which is, can be a rough time for anybody, but we, we work as a united front. Yep. Yep. Appreciate it. All right, you guys hang in there. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank